All right, guys. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. Got myself Brian, co-host Squints, and my other friend Brian. Good to be here, guys. Also, Brian's. better known as that guy. Correct. Whether good or bad, depends on who you talk to. Before we get into your story, what made you come up with that guy? It, it actually started as a dumb nickname. I was at a conference in Washington, D.C. for multifamily housing. And one of my clients was talking to, you know, it was one of those things where you bring snacks and stuff for senators and legislators. And so one of my clients was there and I was there and he goes, uh, hey, who do we use to do our site walks? And I go, oh, that's my company. And he goes, oh, so you're that guy. And I go, yeah, I'm that guy. The rest of the night, you know, and this is like suit and tie type thing. Yeah. All night long, my buddy kept screaming across this room, hey, that guy, come here. I'd walk over and introduce myself. And so on the plane ride home, I had a property inspection company um, that I was had built and uh, changed the name to that guy uh, on the flight home. I started looking up domains and I couldn't really found that there was one that was, you know, thatguy.com. Shout out to that guy. Uh, tried to get it and he already had a website going. So I ended up using usethatguy.com, which kind of fit the bill. So. Yeah. That's a great name, by the way. Well, thank you. Yeah. yeah. And it's kind of stuck. So the funny part is I got home and I immediately went to Havasu that weekend uh, with a friend of mine named Jason. And I was telling him, I'm like, oh, yeah, they're calling me that guy. And so all weekend long, he started calling me that guy. And I thought it was kind of funny to walk up, you know, at the point I was single. And I'd walk up to girls and be like, introduce myself. Hey, I'm that guy thinking I was cool. And then had one of them politely tell me, hey, you come off really douchey doing that. <laughs> so lessons learned. It's all good. I think as a, for a service aspect, it's a great name. Correct. You know, and that's the thing, you know, all, all the business that I've ever been involved in service-based business. And, you know, having the name that guy applies itself to pretty much anything. Yeah. So Because we all got a guy. You all got a guy. And if you don't know a guy, I know the guy. So, you know, it's all about connecting the dots. Tell us a little bit about uh, how you got your start in business. Sure. So I grew up uh, basically in the pest control industry. My grandfather worked for a company called Dewey Pest Control here in Southern California. He was a GM with them. Uh, my father did the same thing. And coming out, or actually when I was about 14 or 15, um, I started working for my grandfather's family business, which was called Aranko Services at the time. And he had a bigger company that did, uh, you know, pest control as well as hydro seeding, landscape control, landscape maintenance type thing. Uh, it was based down in Orange County, obviously, with the name there. And uh, basically, when I was 14, he said, you know, hey, you can sweep the shop and, and clean the office, but that's all you can do. When I turned 16, then I started working with the crews in the field. And then, uh, Went, to, went away to school uh, back in Iowa, a school called Graceland University. And when I came back from that, needed a job and uh, basically fell into doing pest control. I actually wanted to be a lawyer, believe it or not. So <laughs> that's what I was going to school for. Yeah. Yeah. So I started working in the family business. And then uh, just as time went on, I uh, ended up getting married, having kids, and, you know, had responsibilities. And so uh, started kind of taking over and learning. Yeah. So. How was it working with your family and the transitions through? Did you guys start your own business after everybody was kind of being the GM and all this other stuff? Well, my grandfather left Dewey in 1979. Uh, he had kind of hit the peak of his career with them uh, working as a GM. And so when he left, he uh, started his company um, with my father and my aunt working with him. Um, so, you know, I was still you know, in junior high at that point. Um, 
And then when I started working for them, which is like 88, 89, when I was in high school, um, the business was still there. In 1991, my grandfather decided to retire and he actually sold his business to several other businesses, including Terminex. Um, that's kind of how Terminex got started in California. They bought a substantial amount of his business, which existed here in LA County. Um, from there, my grandfather stepped away and retired. My dad took one part of the business, which was doing agricultural services. Uh, my aunt and uncle took another part of the business, which was doing the termite business, and they all kind of went their separate ways. You know, uh, working with siblings, as anyone knows, not always easy. You know, yeah. who's in charge? You know, who's the boss type of thing. Uh, <clears throat> so as I came back from school, uh, which was '93, uh, started dating my ex-wife at that point and started working for my father, and we through that process then started. A, communicating with my aunt and uncle. Uh, we were referring them business, they were referring us business. We basically said, why aren't we all working together? Uh, so we actually started a new company in the spring of 95, uh, which was called Team Two Termite and Pest Control. Brought all the companies back together and the idea between the name, because it was Team T-O-O, was that we also did all these other things that a lot of other companies didn't do. So started working there. There was five of us at that point. It was my dad, my aunt, my uncle, my uncle's brother, myself, and my mom. And we all started working. And I always joke around. It, it's somewhat true. My aunt and uncle worked very hard, but my mom and dad were kind of more of, uh, had got used to being office people, as I like mm -hmm. to say. So they kind of handled that part of it. But I went out and did the sales and service. Um, I was always kind of the personable guy. And started talking to people and negotiating with them and, and helped our business grow at that point. And so that first year, I think we had five people for about the first six months and then we ended up hiring in another person. And then from 1995 to 2014, I ran that business. I actually took over running the day-to-day -day operation in 99. Uh, I think I was 24 years old, 25 years old at that point. Um, we had, I think six or seven employees my aunt and uncle had actually decided that they wanted to step out of the business. Um, so we bought them out. Uh, it happened to be my dad, my mom, and myself, and continued running the business. Um, I did all the day-to-day -day operation, uh, led our sales team, led our service team. We took the time to innovate with some new products. Uh, a lot of people are familiar with like alternatives, green products. Mm -hmm. um, that wasn't a big thing in the pest control industry at that point. And it was all the bad stuff. Well, it wasn't, none of it was ever bad. You know, that's the thing is a lot of people think, oh, that's this chemical is so harsh and, and bad. But the reality of it is the homeowner user is the worst user. Yeah. Uh, because they go down and can buy it at Home Depot and, you know, they get the bottle and it says use two ounces and they go, hey, you know what, I'm going to go two gligs and a glug, glig, glig, glug, you know, and that, that'll be better. The reality of most pesticides is the less you use, the more effective they are. So a lot yes. of products were removed off the market. Uh, but one of the things we pioneered, and I sat down with my, my dad and my uncle, who was still involved in the business at that point, was doing termite control utilizing a heat method. And we had worked with uh, the creators that, that founded that. And uh, basically, we took that method and started advertising it. Um, I came up with a, a dumb name, which we called Heat Blast. And we started advertising on the local radio stations in the LA market. 
and uh, got a lot of phone calls from people asking about how that worked. And then we had always worked with a chemical um, that was uh, called Timbor, which was made by U.S. Borax Company. And if anyone's ever used Boraxo hand soap or Boraxo laundry soap, it's the same chemical compound. It's just formulated differently. And mm -hmm. when you mix it with water and apply it to wood, it kills termites. And so we had worked with them in developing that product for a couple of years and basically put the two together to offer a very safe alternative to fumigating a home. Most people are familiar with the tent fumigation. The yeah, exactly. Gas it. Yep. And so, you know, at that point, our, our advertising campaign become became, you know, no toxic, deadly gas. You don't have to move out of your house. And one of the things that we really took a huge leap of faith with was offering warranties for pest control service for the termite control service. Prior to 1999, you were lucky if you got a 90-day warranty when you hired somebody to treat your home. Uh, through our marketing campaign, sitting down with the family, I was like, you know what? What? Let's do something different. Let's give a one-year warranty. And then a one-year warranty became, hey, let's give a three-year warranty. And then let's give a five-year warranty. If the product works the way it does, if the manufacturer is telling us that this is going to last 5, 10, 15 years and we're applying it the right way, why can't we guarantee that? Yeah. So our entire marketing campaign became, we offered three and five year warranties and boy, did I get so much hate from the industry. Oh, I <laughs> so I was involved. I was actually on a board of directors for the state um, pest control. Uh, it was called pest control operators, of California. And I was on the board of directors and all my competitors, we go to these monthly meetings and they come up and they'd be like, Oh, why are you doing that? You're making it harder for all of us. And I was like, look, I'm just trying to set myself apart. It's better so, for the customer. It was better for the customer. Yeah. We And we grew rapidly because mm -hmm. of that. We focused first on customer service. We yeah. wanted our customers happy. We wanted them to know what we were doing. We, When we went and did inspections, rather than try to scare them with the idea of what they can't see, we told them exactly where their termites were. We'd walk around. We took, you know, at this point, this was right when digital cameras were making a big entry yeah. level into the market. We had the old Sony cameras that you put a floppy disk in mm -hmm. and you would take photos and we'd go around everyone's house and take photos and we'd give them the floppy disk and we'd say hey here's where all your problems are they'd hire another company to come out and give them another estimate we always encourage them to at least get two more estimates and the other guys would come out and you know a lot of times would use the tactics which were normal for our industry and it's not a bad thing but it was taught that you know fear if you, a little bit of fear causes around yeah fear. exactly yeah and so they would use that tactic and you know where our customer now was educated and could understand exactly what they were looking at. So we would end up getting, you know, 75% of the jobs that we bid, which wow. put our business through the roof. Uh, we ended up acquiring a company in San Diego at that point, uh, which was in 2000. Um, they also uh, were doing, uh, you know, non-chemical measures. And at that point, you know, my role completely changed from going out and, sitting down with clients and doing inspections to managing day-to-day -day operations, you know, with a team of sales guys and inspectors and pest control techs from there. Um, and then from there it took off. So like how it, was it uh, transitioning to scale from being the, the, the leader in the front front person in the business? Did you have any adjustment of like taking on this role of, uh, 
leading from behind? Was that a, an adjustment period for you? It's still an adjustment. Yeah. I hate sitting behind a desk. Uh, in fact, I only sit behind a desk on Mondays and Fridays. Okay. Uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, I'm out in the field all week long. Mm-hmm. Um, I travel all over the country now, um, but you know, at the time I tried to do the same thing. It was harder. It was very hard for me to go from being the guy that interacted with the customers to trying to educate and teach the guys that were working with me how to do that. We would hire guys from other companies and they came in with a sales perspective of how they would sell. And we wanted something different. Mm-hmm. Um, the one thing that I kept remembering, uh, and it was from a high school football coach that I had, uh, it was my senior year in, in high school. And I was arguing one day and I was, you know, I was a team captain and I was arguing with the coaches and he took me aside and he just said, hey, look, you might be good at what you do, but you're never gonna be great if you don't help other people be good at what they do. And he said, you know, to be successful, you have to teach other people and lead them to success. And that's something that stuck with me my whole life. Wow. You know, and so that transition became a little bit easier when I set aside my ego, mm-hmm. uh, being a 25, 26 year old guy who was making too much money yeah. and said, you know what, if I just help these guys grow, I'm going to be better off for it. And that's kind of the approach I took from that point forward. And, you know, I, I was very lucky to be surrounded by great people. I had great guys that uh, started working with me when they were young. Uh, in fact, I have one gentleman who still works for me. Uh, he works out of my Nashville office, and he's worked with me for 24 years now. Wow, yeah, so, that's a long time. Yeah. I've watched him grow up. He, he was 19 when he started, uh, you know, crazy kid, and we would laugh and do all sorts of dumb stuff. And we had a little basketball hoop in our warehouse. Uh, you know, and at the end of the day, we'd go out back and, you know, it was trick shots off the off the wall or off three walls, you know, yeah. uh, and we would do that, you know, at night in between making our sales calls. And, and, uh, so it's funny cause I actually just talked to him earlier this week. Uh, you know, we had our team meeting and I was talking to him cause he's down doing inspections for us, uh, down in, uh, Alabama this week. And he goes, you know, he goes, do you remember when we used to do that? And I said, God, those were the best times, you know, there was 15 of us or so. And, you know, we were, everyone knew everybody and, you know, you, you knew what everyone liked and didn't like, and you knew how to push their buttons and, and talk smack. You know, that was my favorite thing. We, we talked smack like no others. Yeah. it's fun. <laughs> um, you mentioned that that was the best time. I hear that a lot from people that are very successful and in a lot of fields that as business scaled, things got tougher, not easier. And, uh, that tends to be a common theme. Can you elaborate on that a little bit? Sure. Um, you know, for, for me, when we were smaller like that, I knew everybody and, you know, I knew their, who their wives or girlfriends were. I knew if they had kids, I knew everybody. And so it was a very tight knit family. Mm-hmm. As the business grew, we ended up having more middle management. From a family perspective, one of the tough things that my family went through is, is greed. Mm-hmm. You know, I had my mom and my dad and, and then my brother came into the business as well. And it became, me working, me being there every day, and my parents being there eh, maybe from 10 o'clock to 2 o'clock with an hour and a half lunch in between. <laughs> and if my brother showed up three out of five days a week, we thought that was a blessing. Yeah. You know? um, so what we had in that small group was just we had a dynamic where it was a challenge for everybody to want to do better, 
but we were also able to communicate in such a way that it helped accelerate that growth. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we worked together as a team. Um, that was one of the things I always loved about that. Um, that business, all the way to the day that I left that business, was my baby. Um, you know, you grew up with it. I did. You know, I was. You I got it on its way. That's exactly it. I got married when I was twenty, twenty-one years old. Um, by the time I was twenty-two, we had just started that business. By the time I was twenty-five, I was essentially running the day-to-day -day operations, and uh, I was forty years old um, when. You know, my, I walked in one morning after having spent a lot of time, and I'm not sure we can get more into that, but uh, spending time with my family, trying to buy my family out of the business. Mm -hmm. And I walked in one morning, uh, it was Monday morning after Thanksgiving in 2014, and I walked in and was told that I was fired and to get out of the building. Oh. And that was heartbreaking for me. Um, that was my baby. I walked back into my office, I was in tears. I wrote an email to all of my managers and the people that have been with me a long time. And I said, I'm very sorry I've been asked to leave. Here's my personal cell phone number. Here's my personal email. If any of you guys ever need anything, please call me. And I walked out and I can't tell you what I did from that day for the next month because I spent it behind a bottle. Yeah. I was just devastated. And it was the worst time of my life. And then shortly thereafter, I got blessed again with an opportunity and kind of took off from there so amazing yeah um tell us uh that's quite a, a you know <laughs> quite a thing to walk into is yep. that you know obviously there was some turmoil and some things yep. but to be to be a family mm -hmm. and then to isolate one member who obviously was a driving force of the growth of this business um it's a tough a tough pill to swallow i hope that the family has has been able to uh make amends or come to terms with that i know it's a tough situation <laughs> i'll tell you i haven't spoke to any of them in over 10 years well wow. so the day i walked out that door um was the last time i spoke to my father uh, he was the one i actually walked into my dad's office that morning i had had my attorney working on with his attorney in drawing up the documents and my attorney called me that morning and said you know hey your dad didn't sign the documents and you have a meeting with the bank this morning to sign papers i was getting a loan for about three million dollars to you know pay them their share of the business and i so i walked into my dad's office and i said hey you haven't signed the documents i got my meeting with the bank and he goes you're fired and i'm like, what and you know, I own 45% of this business. You can't fire me. And he goes, well, you don't own any of it. And come to find out through attorneys, my dad and my mom had forged my signature on a document stating that I signed all my shares back over to them. So it became very troublematic. Um, the business was worth about $10 million at that point. Uh, we had grown and, and worked very hard. And so I walked out the door and I didn't look back. Um, yeah. You know, I, I talked to my mom twice um, in about 60 days after that. Um, my younger brother and I were always kind of at odds anyway. Um, my younger sister and my younger brother both profited off of the business and off of my mom and dad. They kind of gave them whatever they wanted. So they kind of took their side and that's fine. You know, I don't wish any of them ill will. Um, you know, I hope they're really doing well in life.
Mm -hmm. uh, every once in a while, someone will come up to me and say, you know, hey, you know, I, I saw your brother. And it's funny, I actually ran into my brother at the supermarket uh, two years ago. And I saw him from me to you, and I, I said, you know, hey, Jacob. And he looked at me, flipped me off, turned around and walked away. Wow. And I was like, wow, you know, what did I ever do? And literally all I ever did was help provide a lifestyle for you. And, you know, but that was a crazy event. Um, you know, so that was no, basically the last week of November of 2014. Uh, January of 2015, I started my current business uh, with the pushing of a friend by the name of Bo Jones. He actually called me the week between Christmas and he was helping me in the process of trying to buy out my family. And he saw that I was basically being a drunk idiot for a month. And he called me and he goes, you realize you were the one, you were that business. And I said, no, I wasn't. I said, you know, I had everybody around me. I had a team. It was, you know, I didn't do it by myself. He goes, that may be so. He goes, but everybody knew you were team too. I said, oh, okay. So he urged me to start my own business. And so January of 2015, I did that. And in that process, um, I decided at that point I would not take a single client from Team Two. Wow! And that was a tough. It's very decision. big of you because yeah, most people in that situation <laughs> they want to take them with them or yeah. give them the opportunity to take exactly. sides. But it's big of you to put that. Well, I just didn't. Team Two was my baby, and yeah. I still had friends working there. Yeah. I still had my managers that were working there. My ex-wife worked there, mm -hmm. and we had three kids together. And you know, I wanted everyone to be successful. I knew that with my relationships and what I had done, that I would be okay. And so I started developing those other relationships that would give me new opportunities. Uh, the funny part is, uh, my birthday's in April, April tenth, on. April 7th, my ex-wife called me and she goes, we have a weird meeting, company-wide meeting next Thursday, my birthday. And I said, oh, I said, what's going on? She goes, I don't know. They say it's about health insurance. And I was like, oh, okay, well, you know, whatever health insurance you need to do, do, you know, and we'll, we'll figure it out. And uh, then she called me on my birthday uh, about nine o'clock in the morning in tears. And she was hysterical. And I said, Melissa, what's going on? What's wrong? And she goes, they sold the company. And I said, what? And she goes, they sold the company. She goes, we walked in this morning. I walked in, I was given my check. It was Thursday. She was given a check till Friday. Now my ex-wife had been there from day one with me, had helped me build the business. She ran the HR department. She did accounting. She did a lot of things there. She walked in on Thursday morning. They handed her a paycheck to Friday and said, you're fired. Wow. My parents didn't say a word to her. They terminated her insurance, her my kids' health insurance that day. This and is after you've been kicked out. This is after I've been kicked out three months after, four months after I've been kicked out. And um, so I was like, my ex-wife called me and I said, look, go home, take a deep breath. Monday morning, you come over to my office, come work here, we'll figure it out. I had one employee at the time. I had no business hiring anybody. But I said, you know what, we'll figure it out. And we were doing okay. And uh, she came over that Monday morning and we started figuring it out. But uh, what I found out, and this is the fun part, so from August of 2014 to November of 2014, I was negotiating with my parents to buy them, to out. Buy them out, to buy out their 
they had 45% of the business, I had 45% of the business, and my brother had 10%. So I was negotiating to buy out their 55% total. I had a forensic um, accountant come in, and I had you know different CPA come in, audit the books, write these beautiful reports of valuation of the business. And I was giving this to them because, you know, this is my mom and dad, mm -hmm. you know, and I'm going to, you know, I'm negotiating in good faith. What you, I, you did all the work for them. What I found out is everything that I handed them, they were taking and on the backside negotiating in silence with Terminex. And it just, when I found that out, I was just like, God, it all makes sense. You know, um, <laughs> dealing with my dad was the first step in my life of dealing with narcissists. Yeah. And I didn't realize it at the time. I always said my dad was egotistical, but you know, it's a cycle, narcissism's a cycle, and when you get into that cycle, as somebody who, you know, loves someone who's a narcissist, you get into this cycle of habits, you know, where you're insulted or put down or made to feel less than, and then you're showered with love. And, you know, that's what would happen with my dad my whole life. And you know, one of the fun things I tell people is my entire life, I'm 50, just turned 50 years old, uh, just back in April, mm -hmm. this last April, my entire life, I've never once heard my dad say he was proud of me. Wow. I've had two other men tell me they were proud of me. One of them was my grandfather who really taught me everything about who I am. And then the other one was a gentleman by the name of Scott Raftery, who was my high school football coach. So, and I remained friends with him until he passed away. So those two guys told me they were proud of me. And I, I always tell everybody, everyone says, well, why do you work so hard? Why do you always try? You know, I'm one of those people that if I get to this level, I'm going to try to get to that next level. Yeah. You know, this level is good and that's great, but I want to, I want to see what's at that next level. And everyone always gives me a hard time. Why do you always, you know, what, what's good enough? And I said, well, it's not a matter of being good enough. You know, if, if I have a roof over my head and food in my stomach, that's good enough. I want to see what I can achieve. Yeah. But the reason I think I always do that is just because. I would, you know, in my dad's eyes, and I would go in and talk to my dad at the at the office, you know, for all those years of working together, almost 20 years of working together, and nothing was ever good enough. And so I always want to achieve more. So, you know, it's a character flaw in some ways. <laughs> so, but. How'd you end up homeless during this transition? Oh, that's, <laughs> that's funny. So my ex-wife and I split up in 2012, 2011, 2012. Um, when we split up, uh, both her and I were working at Team Two, and I said to her point blank, I said, I don't want our kids' lives to change. So I went to her and I said, you know, here's what I get paid every every two weeks. You, she obviously knew it because she did the payroll. I said, you take that entire check and I'll take a hundred bucks out of that check. And that's all I need. I said, I had a, my consulting business doing inspection team two was a california based company the family made it very clear they did not want to service anywhere out of california but i had all these clients that were growing nationally and they wanted what we did in california outside of california so i started that guy in 2011 uh the consulting side of that guy so that's when that conference mm -hmm. happened and all that and at that point i was doing consulting on all this stuff out of California and I was doing okay. So I told her, I said, I'll live off of whatever I make over here. And we agreed to that. And so she kept my paychecks and that kept going. Well, in February of 
2014, I was renting a house in Corona um, where I lived and you know wanted to be close to my kids. My kids lived in Norco, so I had a house very close to them so I can spend time with them whenever I could. And I was renting this house and the family that owned that house was a really great family I'd been introduced to uh, and they lived in China. Um, however, the father lived here uh, in Corona. He got really sick and they called me and said, you know, hey, we're going to be coming back. You know, you got three months to move out. I said, oh, no problem. So it was February, the end of February of 2014. Well, I was foolish. I was a young guy. You know, I was, you know, 41 years old at the time, mm -hmm. um, making good money. You know, I had cars and I had a boat and I had all this other stuff, but I didn't pay attention to my finances. Didn't pay attention at all. And all of a sudden I looked in the bank and I had less than a thousand dollars to my name. And I also had my rent due, which was far more than a thousand dollars. And so I called the family and I said, look, you know, I've been a good tenant, but I can't, you know, I don't have the money to pay you. You know, can we figure something out? And they said, no, you have 10 days to get out. And I said, okay, I, you know, I'm a stand-up guy. I like to believe I'm a stand-up guy. And so if I can't pay a bill, you know, I don't want to inconvenience somebody. I knew that they wanted to move back in. So I was like, well, what am I going to do? I had no money coming in. It, business was slow at that time on the consulting side. I really wasn't getting many opportunities, you know, maybe one or two a month, which weren't paying very well. Uh, and I had burned through all the other money I had saved up being a dumbass. Mm -hmm. You know, and I mean, that's true. I was yeah. out, at, I was out at the bars every Friday, Saturday night. I was trying to hit on young girls, take them on dates to nice restaurants. You know, that's what I thought I was supposed to be doing as a single bachelor. And so I ran out of money. And so March 10th, I think it was, I moved, put everything I had into a U-Haul truck. I took that U-Haul truck over to the Team 2 office, parked it in the warehouse of the Team 2 office. And for the next three and a half months, I slept on couches. I slept on the couch in my office most nights. Um, I traveled for business. So, if, you know, if I, I wasn't homeless, homeless. Yes. You know, I had a place where I could, you know, be at night, but I didn't have a home. Mm -hmm. And so I was, you know, if I traveled for business, I would try to extend those trips by a night or two so I can stay in the hotel. Um, whenever I had my kids, I had accumulated enough hotel points. And so when I had my kids, I'd be like, oh, you kids, let's go to San Diego for the weekend. And we'd stay in a hotel. Um, you know, th they never even knew. Um, they didn't know I was homeless at all during that period. At the end of that, uh, one of the things I tried to do is I tried to stay with my parents. Um, you know, and I actually went and stayed at my parents for a week and after a week my parents said you know I don't think you should be staying here every night and you know you make X number of dollars because obviously they were in the business why can't you take money from her and and you know it was like a kind of a clash of heads and so you know I stayed nights at friends houses and you know couch surfed basically for three and a half months and then uh, I got really fortunate uh, one of the clients that I had they're a big client out of San Francisco acquired a property in um, uh, Hawaii. Uh, I'm trying to remember the name of the uh, Iwa Beach, mm -hmm. uh, Hawaii. And they said, hey, we want you to oversee this project. And I said, no problem, I can oversee that project, but I need a down payment if I'm gonna do it. And they wrote me a check and said, done deal. And I went and took over that project overseeing it. 
Uh, it was a, I think it was a thousand unit uh, military housing conversion to uh, apartment homes. That's and, big. Yeah, it was a big. It was a huge project for me. It was the biggest project I had ever sold in my life. Wow. And uh, at that point, and I went and I took that over, overseeing it. And really what I was overseeing was just the pest control aspect of it because what they wanted to do is they wanted to get rid of all the termites. This place had been not taken care of by the military for years. Mm -hmm. So they had termites everywhere. And then they had roach issues like crazy because it's Hawaii. It's Hawaii. Yeah. <laughs> People think Hawaii is beautiful and it really is, but there's roaches there. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, it's bad because it's a tropical climate. Yeah. And so I went over there and out, laid out a plan and uh, I, I worked with a good guy I had worked with previously over there and partnered up with him. And we actually helped his business grow uh, through that project and took it over. And basically that's what got me back on my feet. And from there, uh, continue on in 2014, I show up, you know, the day after Thanksgiving, get fired. So my friend Bo, he was one of the guys that was using me on out-of-state projects, said, you know, hey, pull your head out of your butt, start your own place. He gave me a few projects here and there to look at and work on as a consultant. And the rest is history, I always say. So never looked back. So... I also don't drink like that again. <laughs> no, good for you. Um, any any idea why they took that that route to sell it from underneath you? Was it? Oh, I know exactly why. So basically, we were having an evaluation done of the business. When I was doing the forensic accounting, I knew how much work we were doing. The company was doing really well. In doing the forensic accounting, the week before Thanksgiving, my accountant had found. That there had been about a million dollars that was missing mm -hmm. um, and what was found is there were cash withdrawals taken every week um, for this amount or that amount and what was happening is my parents my mom and dad were taking petty cash to use for whatever reasons and it, it accumulated to about a million dollars well the agreement we had at that business and now again this business was about a 10 million dollar a year business was my dad was paid a hundred thousand dollars a year i was paid a hundred thousand dollars a year my ex-wife was paid sixty thousand dollars a year my mom was paid sixty thousand dollars a year and my brother was paid seventy five thousand dollars a year that was what we all agreed to well also found in this accounting was that my dad was being paid $250,000 a year and my mom was being paid $200,000 a year and my brother was making $150,000 a year and I was still being paid $100,000. Which wasn't even going to you at the time. Which wasn't even going to me. <laughs> no, nobody knew that though. That no. was something yeah, that's, that, that's, that was personal. just between yeah. the two of you. Yeah. Between my ex-wife and I. We, we told, when we went through our divorce and the, and the separation, one of the things I, when we sat down, it was extremely amicable. And when we sat down, we said, look, nobody, very big of you nobody needs to know our business, yeah. you know, and I want you to be happy. You know, you want me to be happy. We just, this isn't working. So, you know, we led on to other family members that her and I were at odds with each other. So they always thought we were fighting, you know, or not talking. But the reality was we talked to every day and we talked about everything. So um, it, it was, it worked out well for us, mm -hmm. but um you know, we, I find this and I actually went and confronted them just before Thanksgiving. And I said, look, my accountants found all this stuff. This is very upsetting to me, but in the grand scope of things, 
it doesn't matter because when I buy you guys out, you're no longer going to be here. And now I've absorbed, I absorb that money back into the income of the business and we'll be fine. I said, but you know, you may be taxed on this money because to do the books correctly, we have to account for a million dollars in petty cash that's not there. And so I'm letting you know, you need to be aware of that and be prepared for that. And it was like the tone just turned. And so when I walked into that meeting with my dad and said, hey, you haven't signed these documents that Monday after Thanksgiving, he, his little response was, well, what we've done is we decided that we're going to sell you the business, but instead of selling it to you for $5.5 million, you need to come up with $10 million. And it needs to be all cash, and you have to do it before December 15th. There's no way in hell I could raise that kind of money. You know, I'd never seen a million dollars in a bank account. You know, I, I had already discussed with my ex-wife about leveraging the home that she lived in. You couldn't That's come a, up with that money. Yeah, there was no way for me to come up with $10 million basically in less in 10 business days. I actually had called the bank and, and said, you know, is there any, and the bank was like, you know, we're loaning you $3 million. There's no, you have no equity beyond that. Tough luck. Was the business even worth 10 It was. It was. Uh, business was doing really well. And w I had laid out a projection plan, you know, a sales plan that if followed that next year, we would actually would have probably exceeded about $13 million in sales that next year. Um, it was going to be a great year, you know, and I knew by taking them off a of payroll, that basically gave me an extra 500 grand to play with for sales, marketing, all that kind of fun stuff. So that was the devastating conversation, you know? And, and so, you know, he said, basically, you, you know, come up with $10 million. And by the way, until you come up with $10 million, you're fired. You're not to be in this building. And, you know, give me your company credit card. Give me your company car. Give me your keys. And so I went back to my desk. I wrote a very nice email and I walked out and never looked back. So it's the hardest day of my life. Yeah. So, I mean, that Sounds was like it. it was my baby. You know? Yeah. So, but, uh, you know, fortunately, I, you know, God has a mysterious way of working and sometimes he kicks you in the ass when you need to be kicked in the ass. And I think I needed to be because honestly, what I had gone through with, you know, being homeless earlier that year, being a dumbass of trying to prove how cool I was to everybody by, you know, always being the guy who bought drinks or, you know, mm -hmm. was taking out the, the pretty girls to fancy restaurants. Uh, I needed that ass kicking to bring me back to reality. And then when Bo called me and Bo reiterated the same thing and he literally said to me, Hey, you're a dumbass. You know, you had it, you had it all going like you're a dumbass. You lost everything. And I was like, well, yeah, it makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> did your parents, if you even know the answer, when they sold the Terminex, did they get anywhere close to what you were offering? My understanding is they got about $8 million. Mm -hmm. So, um, they walked away with that. And, and the funny part is right after the day that it sold, um, I called my attorney who had been negotiating the sale of the business with me. And I, I said, what are my options? He goes, we can sue him. He goes, let's sue him. He goes, you're entitled to that. We have all the documentation in the world that shows that you own 45% of that business. You're entitled to, to that, that money. And I said, okay, how, what's that gonna cost? He goes, it's probably gonna cost a million dollars and it'll probably take a year or two before you see a dime. And I said, and his name's Jeff. And I said, Jeff, I, I can go make a million dollars. I said, I'd rather go make a million dollars than spend a million dollars trying to fight them. Let them enjoy it. Now, the hard part is, you know, 
like I said, I wish my parents all the best in the world. I wish my brother and my sister the best in the world. Their kids, you know, um, I, I never wish people ill will. I get over things pretty easily. When I heard, I actually heard about three years ago, four years ago, that my parents had filed bankruptcy. Oh, and I'm like, how do you go through that kind of money? You know, but, you know, it, happens. Sure it does. Yeah. It definitely does. It's terrible. Um, but obviously, yeah, I mean, what we reap, <laughs> we reap what we sow, so. It, it, that's somebody. It is a tough situation, obviously. It's yeah. family, but it, it's still. You have a very good mindset around just going out and getting it, though, because mm -hmm. I mean, that's the the beauty of this story is is that you, you went out and built another successful business. Well, I you know I started from scratch. I had literally nothing to my name when I did it. When I opened the doors, um, the my goal of the first year was to do three hundred thousand dollars. I said, if I do three hundred thousand dollars, I'm making it. You know, figured I, you know, if I was lucky, I might pay myself 50000 that year. Um, shortly after the sale of the business, one of the largest clients that I had sold while at Team 2 was a company called the Irvine Company. They own everything in Orange County. Yeah. And most people are aware of that. But they also own all the apartment communities in Irvine and South Orange County. And they were our biggest client. And the director for Irvine Company called me and started yelling at me on the phone. He's like, why didn't you tell me you guys are selling? I said, hey, I haven't been there since November. I'm really sorry. I couldn't tell you what was going on. I left. I never solicited you. I wish you the best. And he goes, we don't want Terminex. And I said, okay, I understand that. He goes, you come and evaluate our properties. And I said, I'll come evaluate it, but I'm not taking that business from you, from them. I said, that was Team 2's business. It's been sold to Terminex. I don't want any part of it. He goes, he goes, okay, I'll pay you to come check all of our properties to make sure they're being done right. I said, great. I forget what I charged him. I want to say I charged him like $10,000, which I thought at the time was astronomical. You know, I was like, okay, great. I'm getting a $10,000 job. <laughs> Went out and did the inspections, found just deficiencies left and right. Because what had happened from the time that I left it in November to... April is my father had also fired all of my service managers, let all of them go. He only kept one guy and it, I felt bad. That one guy was a great guy and they put all the pressure on him to make sure things were going right. One guy can't manage 70 guys. It doesn't work that way. No. You know, and especially in pest control, the ma the management ratio is about seven to one. You, you need a field service manager for about every seven guys. Um, but, uh, I, that's a whole nother topic for another day. <laughs> so uh, I went out and I did these inspections. I laid out to them exactly what was going on, wrote a very detailed report. About 90 days later, I get called into their office and they said, would you be willing to bid the portfolio? And they said, we have already given Terminex our 30 day notice. Will you give, will you bid the portfolio? I said, well, I'll bid it. I said, but I know what you guys pay and you know, I'm going to be higher than anybody else. Well, for the last 10 years prior to that, I had worked very closely with Irvine Company. I wrote their scopes of work. Every time they went out to bid, I was the one who helped write their bid scope. And I did that for a lot of companies. I, I did it for state agencies, you know, federal and county. Um, so, you know, I was kind of known for writing these good bid scopes. And so I'm like, yeah, I know your bid scope. I'll bid it. So I bid it and they called me back about three weeks later and they said, okay, we've decided to award it to you. And I'm like, whoa. I got two employees, my ex-wife and one other guy, which happens to be now my ex-wife's husband. Wow. Uh, 
So <laughs> the funny part is he was my right hand at team two when I was going through my divorce. They started dating about a month after we got divorced. So happy for them. I hope they're happy. I don't talk to them a whole lot, but when we do communicate, you know, they're very, they're very happy in their life and that I wish them the best as well. So he was working for me and my ex-wife are now working for me. Those were my, uh, and my, and my oldest daughter uh, was working for me at that point. And so um, about a week later, I hired my, my oldest daughter's or her fiance now and he came to work for me as well and I said well I can't you know I don't know how to take this on I mean I I, I don't have the staff and I said you got to give me 90 days and they go we'll give you 60 days I picked up the phone I called my friend Bo and I said Bo you're not gonna believe this I just got this contract he goes see told you <laughs> and I said but what do I do I said I don't I don't have any money to buy trucks I don't have any money to buy equipment I don't you know I don't have staff and so he helped me through all that, he actually called uh, Tim Connell from Connell Chevrolet. We bought six Chevy Colorados. Um, I went out and started hiring. I hired every guy that I could find. Um, I had several people that had worked with me at Team Two who now were fired because they had, when Terminex took over, they just didn't need them. Mm -hmm. And those guys had called me and I said, you know what? If you need a job, I got a spot for you. And so um, by September of that year, I had all of my regional managers that worked in Southern California at Team Two all now worked for me at that guy. And we had taken over all of the same accounts from Irvine Company that they were all familiar with. And I remember I was sitting there, it was the Friday before Memorial, or I'm sorry, the Friday before Labor Day. And I was sitting there and we had just taken over all these accounts. and. Uh, I had one of my guys had an issue and I ran out. It was four o'clock in the afternoon. And I said, you know what? Go home. I'll handle this. And he goes, really? He goes, thanks, man. I, you know, I want to go spend time with my girlfriend. I'm like, all right, get, get out of here. And I remember looking back at that point and I said, wow, how life has changed. Okay. So my goal that year, like I said, was to do $300,000. By the end of that year, I did two and a half million dollars in new business. And it's been crazy ever since. So and just every year it gets crazier and crazier and crazier. <laughs> so amazing. Yeah, it's, I was very very lucky and just happened to be in the right place at the right time. And what it all came down to was relationships. Yeah, it was the service industry, yep. and you can buy the entity, yep. but you can't buy the service. You can't buy the service, and you can't buy relationships. Yeah, and that's the thing with dealing with service. You know, there's a reason people go to Starbucks every morning. Mm -hmm. You know, Starbucks is a big national chain; they make billions of dollars. You know, the, the corporate level of Starbucks doesn't give a crap about you and I. But the person who serves you your coffee, who remembers, hey, you're Brian. Every morning, oh, it's Brian with a Y or Brian with an I. Yes, they write the name on the right, they're brilliant. For them. Yeah, and that marketing put that in front of somebody where they made it feel like they care. Mm -hmm. And that relationship aspect is what grew that business. Same thing happened for me. You know, I became friendly I don't, I don't ever like to say I became friends with, but I became friendly with so many people that were in the multifamily industry because that's what I focused on in pest control. A lot of people focus on residential, a lot of great business there, but I focused on multifamily. Every pest control guy thought I was an idiot. Mm -hmm. You know, how are you doing stuff so cheap? And we do, trust me, we don't make me, the same profit margins that a lot of the residential companies make. One on, one on yeah. care, yeah. But 
we're consistent. Our yeah. business is consistent day in, day out, rain or shine. I always pay. It's easier yeah. to get a check. Exactly. And I'm dealing with bigger entities, mm -hmm. you know, so, you know, I have an accounting team that deals with their accounting team. And so it's a, it's a different thing, but those relationships with those people, being the guy that they can call and say, hey, I have a problem over here. I may not use you because I got another vendor, but tell me how to solve the problem. And I would always be the guy that would answer that call and say, hey, here's what you need to do and here's how you need to do it. Never turned away anybody. And through that, they were able to then take that and you know go to their existing vendor and say, hey, we know you should do this. Or say, hey, Brian, come in and fix it. So that's how the reputation grew. Sounds like me too was that guy. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Kind of in that sense. Yeah. Yeah. Another another takeaway for me is that uh, you kind of ended up with the business without taking the loan, huh? That that's exactly you know that's what Bo said. You know, it, it kind of worked in full circle, it, and obviously yeah. there was a bunch of a, a bunch of bad occurrences in that as well. But you know, the parents got what they wanted, and you ended up with what you wanted, which was to continue working and building right. with those customers. Yep. And you were honorable about it, and you didn't. Well, yeah. take anything at that moment to try to undercut anything. I never actually, I never even told anybody. In fact, after Terminex bought the business, 30 days after Terminex's sale closed, I sent out one email to about 15 clients. And I just said, I understand that your services are now handled by another company. If you ever have a question, here's my contact information. I'm more than happy to help. That's all it said. And that one email generated more people calling us and getting a hold of us. And the funny part is the Terminex guys thought that basically I was going to steal clients. I never wanted their clients. Some of the clients that we had at that company weren't the best clients. Yeah. So They're like I want to get rid of some. <laughs> you knew you knew the, the, the downside yeah. of that of that uh of that client list as well cuz yeah. you built it. And that's exactly it. You know, and then recently Terminex was actually just acquired uh this last year by I a company called Rentakill. Uh-huh. You know, for I think it was 6 billion dollars, yeah. which is just phenomenal. Yeah, you know? crazy. So great for them, you know. But uh the pest control industry, people look at it and they go and it's funny, when I was 41 and dating and spending all my money and I'd go down to the bar and people would say, what do you do? And I'd be like, ah, I work in multifamily. I didn't want to tell people I did pest control, you know, because people looked at pest control and they're like, oh, you guys are dirty. You crawl under houses, you handle chemicals. Yeah. There are more people. It's crazy. Just in Southern California alone, I think there's 10,000 pest control companies uh, from the LA Orange County market, LA Orange County San, uh, San Diego markets. So if you think about that, most of those are small family-owned companies, you know, two, three, four guys out in a truck. I always joke around and my business card actually says schmuck in a truck mm -hmm. because, you know, I'd like to downplay anything I do. When I show up to a property, they don't know that I own the company. They don't know my role. I just show up there as an advisor to try to help. You yeah. know, I don't want people to know that I own the company. That's the one thing I tell everybody, if you go read the, the information about our company on our website, which is a horrible website, uh, but if you go read, it clearly it doesn't talk about me because it's not about me. It's about the team of people that work there. And we have so many great people that work there and so many great people that have worked, have worked there that have gone on to now start their own companies. Um, in fact, where I work in Texas, we do a lot of work in the Austin area of Texas. He was a service tech for me in L.A., and he went to Texas and wanted to start his own version. said, hey, let's do that. Let's work together on that. And we did that. Uh, same thing in Maryland. Same thing in Florida. 
How many states are you in now? 14 states. 14 states. Yeah. How many employees? Uh, well, technically, there are 35 employees, and then we have about another 30 independent contractors. Gotcha. So, uh -huh. yeah. People that have branched out and Correct. started little... Little uh, that guys. Exactly. <laughs> we actually... Uh, I had two friends in pest control growing up. Um, we had one on the show, actually, my, my buddy Nick, and then... Uh, I had another friend named Brandon, and uh, they're both their parents were in pest control. Mm -hmm. We were growing up, and uh, Brandon, uh, his dad wanted him to to be in pest control, and uh, and he, he kind of slept the opportunity that uh, his dad was offering him, and he ended up working for our other buddy who was in pest control mm -hmm. and took took on his father's business later on in life, which is kind of like a it, it is a great family business. You know, yeah. it's, there are so many people. In fact. Uh, you know, I joke around that we do a lot of work down in um, Lafayette, Louisiana. Uh -huh. And in that area, the guy that I work with, it's him and his daughter go do all the services. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's so many people I have met in this industry that, you know, you meet them. If you saw them walking down the street, you wouldn't know they do pest control. Mm -hmm. But, you know, you talk to them and you find out. And I was actually in Hawaii on vacation uh, two, two winters ago for New Year's. And I'm sitting there and I have my that guy hat and, you know, I'm sitting there with a Yeti that says that guy on it. And this guy comes over and he goes, hey, he goes, uh, are you, do you work for them? It's a franchise, right? And I go, well, no, it's not a franchise. And he goes, he goes, the guy I know down in New Orleans has that guy hat just like that. And I said, oh, you know, that's Tim. And he goes, yeah, how do you know? I'm like, oh. Well, I know him. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it's funny how recognized the name has become. Yeah. You know, in that it's a good in name. that arena. Yeah. Well, the whole idea was to branch out beyond pest control, which I have done, and I've been very fortunate on. You know, pest control is not the only side of the business, um, but that's why I, I thought the name worked because it doesn't matter what service it is, whether it's plumbing, HVAC, you know, property management, consulting. You just yeah. Call, call Even that the guy. Me Too was obviously a, yeah. a branch out of the pest control yeah. area. Um, that name is great too because it doesn't. It's very non-descriptive, which is you know, Terminex or Rent-A-Kill. Like yeah. these are big companies mm -hmm. that you automatically think, oh, you you kill bugs. Yeah, that's exactly pest it. and termite or this and that. Our know? our trucks, if you see our trucks rolling down the road, they they don't say anything about pest control on them. In fact, the reason we do that is we want people to pick up the phone and go, "What do you do?" Mm -hmm. And then if you ask our office when when you call and you call our call center and you say, "What do you do?" The first thing they say is, "What do you need done?" Because if we don't do it, we're going to tell you somebody we know that does. Exactly. You know, and we're going to help them out. That guy. So Try to be. Yeah. So in a good way. <laughs> How about marketing? And uh, it sounds like you're pretty good at this. So so any any tips for people out there that are trying to scale a smaller business or service business in, in marketing or things that they can do to help grow? Sure. Well, marketing's changed. Yeah. I mean, it from what it was 10 years ago, it's yeah. drastically different. You know, I was actually talking when when I, you, Brian asked me for a bio. I hate talking about myself. So I went into our marketing gal and she's awesome. I walk in there and I, I have what I call it my thinking chair. And it's just a big uh, lounging chair. And I sit there, I have a baseball bat and I kind of hold it and swing it around. And I, I'll think and tell her my dumb ideas. Um, and I, so I was sitting there yesterday and I was telling her, she's, she started asking me questions to try to fill in the bio. And... Uh, I said to her, I said, marketing is so different now. And she goes, she goes, yeah. She goes, we don't market like we used to. And I said, well, what do we do? You know, because 
20 years ago, we mar we ran ads in the newspaper. Mm -hmm. And I remember we used to run an ad in the Orange County Register and in the LA Times. They had a home and garden section on Tuesday or on Saturdays, and we ran in the home and garden section, and we ran in Tuesday in the local sections. And that would generate our business. Every time an ad ran, we knew we'd get 100 phone calls. Then we advertised on the radio. Well, the thing about radio now is satellite radio has taken over. Yeah. Nobody really listens to the radio anymore. No. Nope. You know, and that's the crazy part that when you think about it, um, I was actually driving out to Havasu this last weekend, and uh, in the car, the person was with me. She, she goes, what are you listening to? I go, I'm listening to the radio. She goes, who does that? That's the age gap. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I said, I listen to the radio, you know, and so, you know, but it's, it's interesting to see that. And so, um, you know, the, the biggest thing about marketing is being authentic. Yeah. It doesn't matter what you do. You can clean toilets for a living. Just be authentic. Make sure that people know who you are, what you do and why you do it. Why do I kill bugs? It's easy. Killing bugs isn't rocket science. People think it's very complicated. It's not complicated until you start dealing with bed bugs or you know some of those type of things. The rest of the industry is super simple. But why do we do it? Because there's a gratification in going to a person's home or their apartment or their commercial building, and seeing ants climbing up the wall, knowing I can follow that ant trail back to the colony, kill that colony, and know that they're not going to have a problem later on tonight. Mm -hmm. there's, a, there's a satisfaction in that. And it's hard for people to express that satisfaction in marketing. So what I have found is that being authentic and, and being true to thyself, you know, saying, hey, here's why I do this. This is what we believe in. These are our values or, you know, what we do as a business um, helps. So our marketing now, believe it or not, I haven't advertised in four years. Well, so we have, we have zero advertising out on the Internet. I mean, we, we have a... An Instagram page, which is horrible. I think it has like 20 posts on it from like two years ago. Um, we do have flyers that we use. Um, and the flyers are very simple. We speak to our client. Um, our client is multifamily, so apartment community managers. Mm -hmm. And so our flyers speak to them. Uh, they, they have very clearly on them what we do. You know, we have all the bugs listed that we take care of. Uh, and then we usually highlight to something to their their side of the business. I'm very fortunate that my relationships with the community managers, the regional managers, the ownership, I can pick up a phone and call an owner and say, hey, what are your communities having problems with? What do, what do your managers complain most about? The biggest thing that ma community managers complain most about is how many hats they have to wear. People don't think about that. Yeah, it's a lot. If you're an apartment manager, you're yeah. sitting in the office, you got to collect rent. But when people come in to pay rent, what do they want to do? They want to complain about the burnout light bulb or they want to tell you about their Aunt Betty who's you know lost her foot from diabetes. Um, sorry, I watched a Milford Brimley commercial oh, yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> I love them. <laughs> so, you know, things like that. And so, you know, that apartment manager wears so many different hats. Our advertising to that community has been basically, hey, we're one less hat you have to wear. You got a problem, you call us, we're going to solve it. And being genuine and authentic in that, and making sure that that authenticity rolls all the way down to our service technicians, that when they walk onto a property, they are there to solve whatever problems that person has. And they don't leave until it's done. That's a hard thing. I have guys that come over from other companies that are like, you know, hey, I have an hour on this job and, you know, I'm going to be done in an hour. 
you might not be done in an hour. It might take you two, three, four hours. You stay there until that job's done, until it's done right. Yeah. So that you can walk away and know, hey, I solved that problem. Mm -hmm. So that's really been how we've done it. Um, it. It's, I think social media advertising has really taken over yeah. um, and is, is a great tool to use. I have friends that use that for their businesses and they, they're very successful with it. Um, I'm very fortunate because we work with these large management companies and the large management companies, once we're an approved vendor, we're able to market directly yeah. you know, to the other communities they're in. So I think you had a point there though, when you said be authentic and true to, to yourself and mm -hmm. the service you're providing is that even in a, a digital age that people need to be authentic in the service that they're providing or the content that they're providing mm -hmm. in that in that marketing directive, right? Because yep. that's, what, that's what you really need to do is represent that it, you're here to solve a problem regardless of how long it takes. And that guy is is very, you know, when you think of that guy in general, it's like, you're, you're that guy, you could do it, you could do it all or you can do what needs to be done and solve that problem. And we either get one, it's funny because my service techs, when they first come work for us, they always say that they love it for the first month and they hate it for the second month. Yeah. Because every time they walk into a property, somebody will see, you know, they have their logos on their shirt or on the hats and they'll go, oh, you're that guy. You know, and I always tell them, well, you can be that guy that solves a problem or you can be that guy. Yeah. Because as everyone knows, there are two connotations. If you watch any advertising, I saw a commercial last night and one of my friends actually sent me a picture of it and they're like, ha ha, that guy. And it was somebody going, don't be that guy. And it's true. Yeah, there, you could be. Yeah. There's, there's, there's two different of versions. Sides of that coin. Yeah, yeah. And we try to be on the good side of the coin. Uh -huh. You know, um, my my girlfriend, the gal that I've been dating for a little bit here, um, said to me this weekend, she goes, there's two versions of Brian. She goes, there's Brian, and then there's that guy. And oddly enough, she works in multifamily as well. And we don't work together thank god mm -hmm. and, but she has seen me <laughs> she's seen me at a conference and she goes when you're at the conference she goes that's that guy she goes you're on and you know you're quick and she goes and even when we go out if we go out to havasu or whatever she goes when we go out to the bar she goes that's that guy she goes but brian is different yeah and i said that's true there are two sides because when you're at work you got to be on you know if i have somebody there there's a, a great movie and um it's uh, U571 mm. with, um, I can't remember the actor in it, I think it's Matt McConaughey mm -hmm. at a younger age. And, you know, it's a Navy, you know, about yeah. taking over a submarine. And, and they go down and the crew starts saying to him, what do we do? What do we do? And he says, I don't know. And the chief of the boat takes him aside a little bit later and says, the worst thing you could do as a captain is say, I don't know or be indecisive. And it's something my grandfather told me when I first started working for him was even though you're young because you're part of the family, people are going to ask you and they're going to expect you to know the answer. So when you give an answer, make sure you give an answer with confidence. And if you don't know the answer, say, I don't have that answer for you right now, but I'm going to get it and make sure that you get them the answer. So I always take that to heart that when somebody comes to me with a question, I have to be the guy with the answer. I have to be that guy. And so that's something that's important to me in the way that I lead our company. I tell everybody, somebody told me last week, and they're like, they're like, oh, you're the best boss I ever had. And I said, don't ever say that to me again. I said, that's the worst thing you can say to me. That's an insult to me. And they said, why? I said, I don't want to be your boss. A boss tells you what to do. A boss tells you how you should do it. I said, the best thing I can do is lead you 
mm-hmm. in a way that gives you the knowledge to help you become better. I want to be your leader. And then I want you to help lead us to be better as a company. And it, it was funny. Day after I said that, I got a phone call from a guy who used to work for me. And, and he goes, hey, uh, you haven't been on Facebook in a while. I said, no, I hate Facebook. <laughs> I said, he goes, well, he goes, I tagged you on something. Go look at it. And I went and looked at it. And it was a whole thing about leadership. And he had wow. wrote, written this whole nice paragraph about what he learned working for me. Wow. He hasn't worked for me for 12 years. And it was just like, that's an impression bangs. you left. Yeah. Made me feel really good. Yeah. You know? Exactly what you just got done telling. Yeah. That you're not a boss, that you're a leader. I try to be. them to be better. Yeah, yeah. I, I try to be. I mean, it's in anything you do, you know, it doesn't matter if you're, you know, in the car industry or, you know, in a service-based industry or just a person on the street. You know, if we all take the approach of being leaders and helping others grow, what are we doing? We're helping people get better. We can help society get better. Mm-hmm. I mean, we all face challenges every single day. It doesn't matter what you do in life. Everything's a challenge. Yep. How do you get better at it? By helping the people around you grow and become better. Yeah. So just something that stuck with me. Very wise words, bro. Very wise. Not bad for an old guy. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> no, it was good. I think that we came, uh, we came right back to where we need to be. Um, do you have any other things that we didn't touch on that you want to? Got a couple of remaining questions. Sure. So you went from zero properties mm-hmm. when you left. Where are you at now? Trick <laughs> question. Varies every day. Right now we service about four hundred thousand units nationwide. Wow. With sixty-five people. Roughly sixty-five people. Yeah. Incredible. Yeah, it's a that's a that's a, huge. It, it's a it's a number that staggers me every day. Yeah. You know, I wake up every morning. I I start work about 5.30 in the morning. Uh, so 5, 5.30, uh, because we have guys on the East Coast that I talk to every morning. Guys in the mid, I always joke around, five, you know, I get up at 5. I have a call about 5.30 with the East Coast guys. I have a call about 6.30 with the Central Standard guys. And then at 7.30, I talk to the management team here. And then from 7.30 to about 8.15 is kind of my time to do whatever. I, I go out because I've been fat. Brian, when Brian met me, I was, I was another 30 pounds heavier because I was going through all sorts of drama and turmoil. I had broken up with my ex-girlfriend, and you know, that, that hit me pretty hard. Yeah, well, uh, life can be. Yeah, you know, and, and, I, and I, I ate my feelings. <laughs> that we do. You know? And so you know, the, from 7.30 to 8.15, I get on the treadmill and I walk every morning. And uh, I have a real good friend, Paul Tracy, he's a former IndyCar driver. Uh, he calls me every morning. Hey, Tubby, what are you doing? I tell him, I'm on the treadmill or, you know, hey, I'm doing this. And he, he gives me a hard time, but he's like the big brother, you know, always always pushing me to do better. Yeah. Um, and I give it right back to him, too. And then when I, you know, like this weekend, you know, with Indy, watching the Indy 500 and I texted him, I said, you know, don't you wish you were racing? No, leave me alone. <laughs> you, know? <laughs> so, you know, it's a great relationship. So. So what's next? What's next? That's a good question. Um, I mean, everyone knows I love boats. Yeah. Um, boating is kind of my passion, always has been. Uh, I grew up on boats. Um, so a lot of what I've been doing lately, obviously, you know, I'm very focused on the, the company and, and where we're going and, and the growth. Um, watch the economy very closely. Um, we have slowed down. I knew this year was going to be slower, so we planned for it. Yeah. All of my big clients told me, hey, next year we're slowing down. Okay, that's fine. We prepared for that. Um, so a lot of what I've been doing lately has been boating related. Um, you know, we, uh, 
go to a lot of boating events. Um, you know, I was very fortunate. Uh, this last year, I bought my first ever brand new boat. Wow. Um, you know, I've never bought anything brand new. <laughs> I've purchased. It was. It, it, I had, I actually, the funny part is I bought two boats on the same day. One I ordered to be built and the other one I bought used. Um, I refer to them as the loaner and the backup. And there's mm -hmm. kind of a, a laughter, you know, tongue in cheek thing on social media about that. <laughs> um, but uh, the, the new boat, the backup boat, uh, was the first boat I ever built from scratch. You know, designed it from top to bottom it's you know it's got my influence in it and so i've been using the heck out of that this year i've been doing a lot of boating events um, going to different poker runs stuff like that um, actually headed to uh, taking my boat and going to the bahamas uh, in uh, june uh, wow. the middle of june we're going to head over to the bahamas for a week that'll be fun uh, i'm super excited about that i've taken big boats from the bahamas over here um, I've, I've helped people move them, uh, but I've never actually driven my own boat from Miami to the Bahamas. So, um, I'm excited about that. That's awesome. Yeah. That'd be fun. Yeah. Um, and then beyond that, from the business standpoint, you know, um, we're in the process of moving our call center office, uh, right now. Uh, we have a new location that we're moving into at the end of this month and, uh, I've set some target goals. Uh, I actually had a guy who worked for me for about four years. Uh, last summer he came in mad because it was a hundred degree day and he didn't like being out in the field. And I said, well, if you don't like what you do, you should go work for somebody else. Go see what the, the difference is. And he called me about a week ago and, or two weeks ago and said, Hey, can we sit down and talk? And we went to a, a angels game. Um, big angels fan can't stand the Dodgers. I know you're Dodger fans. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we can argue about Actually, that left uh, and right. The angels are, uh, they take better care of us anyway, so <laughs> that tells you anything, I get it, you know? But uh, so we went to an Angels game and sat down talking, and um, he said, you know, I, I learned a lot in the last year working for other people. He goes, it's definitely different. Um, I'd like to come back and work for you, but I have some ideas. And we sat down and talked about some of his ideas. Um, so we're bringing him on as uh, a supervisor uh, in a different capacity than he was at when he left. And I think that he's going to help us get to the next level of what we want to do as far as growth with our team. Wow. Uh, the biggest goal I have for this year isn't necessarily growth by numbers of acquisition or, or new properties. It's growing our team so that our team is better suited for what's coming next. Because I think that there is going to be a shift in how pest control is done and, and how those services relate to property ownership and I want to be ready for that so that's that's the the big push this year I spend a lot of my mornings uh, looking at ideas amazing so do you ever plan on exiting or handing it off to your kids <laughs> I was gonna ask that too. I, I, I I've been asked that uh, actually I just got an offer sounds uh, like you would be bored yeah I just got an offer last or last month from a private equity firm who asked if they could buy out the company and and then hire me to run it. Here's what I've seen. Terminex, Orkin, Rent-A-Kill, they're all great companies. They all focus on the same thing, which is residential market. Nobody knows multifamily like I do. And I, you know, I've been a liaison for the National Apartment Association. I've been a liaison for the California Apartment Association. I've worked around the entire country just on multifamily. I don't wanna leave. Yeah. And when I say I don't want to leave, 
yeah, I'd like to step back a little bit, maybe take a Friday off or not wake up at 5.30 every morning. But what I want to do, and the reason for really doing that guy, when Bo called me that morning and said, hey, stop being a drunken fool, he said, you got kids, and they're going to have kids. So, you know, I have three kids, beautiful kids, Brianna, Alexandria, and Christian, great kids. My son is a youth pastor. Uh, my daughter, Brianna, works with autistic kids at the school district. And my daughter, Alex, actually works with me as an inspection coordinator. Great kids. But they all have kids now. So I got four beautiful grandkids. And I don't like to tell people that all the time. So. <laughs> <laughs> I want to keep my youth a little yourself, bit. But, yeah. you know, I, I do have four great grandkids. Um, my goal, I have, I have one gentleman, his name's Mark, who's worked for me for 15 years now. He's 63 years old. He retires in two years. And what I told him, his son works for me. There's another guy by the name of Sean who works for me. His dad, Brian, works for Terminex. And his dad told him when it, this, he came to work for me two years ago, his dad told him, if you want to learn how to actually do this business, go work for Brian. Don't come work here. That was the greatest compliment I've ever received. Wow. And so I look at those guys. Sean's 23, getting married later this year. Mark's 63, getting ready to retire in two years. I want Sean to be able to retire from that guy. And that's what I've told everybody is I don't care what happens to me. You know, I can fall off of the street corner tomorrow and get hit by a bus. I want the company to survive in such a way that they all will be able to look back and go, I helped build that. Yeah. And that to me will be the the best compliment I could ever receive. So to answer your question, I don't know that I'll ever leave. I like working. Uh, you know, I don't always like getting up and dealing with some of the stuff that we deal with, but I actually like the people I work with. I look forward to going into my office. I look forward to interacting with our teams. Uh, I look forward to being on planes and meeting guys like you. Yeah. You know? yeah. And that's exactly what it was. We happened to be sitting next to each other on a flight and started BSing and making fun of somebody for stinky feet. Yep. <laughs> I think that's what it was. Uh, and then, you know, through that conversation, we got to know each other. And now you slide into my DMs like a hot chick looking yep. for a ride on a boat. <laughs> I don't know if I'm ever going on the boat at that speed. Ah, uh, you can come anytime you want to go. We can go slow for you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, you and I have gotten to know each other, you know, over the past year and it, it's been great. You know, uh, you're, yep. you're a great guy. And, and, you know, my goal in life has been to make connections with people so that I can help them connect to other people. Yeah. Because that's really all life's about. That's what it's about. You know, the money comes so. and goes. There's the ups and downs and the creation of this thing and the team building is, is what we find in this in this show as we talk about business and life in general. We kind of find these common themes and that's what it what it really is. That's what excites people yeah. is the building and the being excited to go help and lead and, and, and have a place. It is. I had a surreal moment this weekend. Um, I was out in Havasu and you know, obviously I have a new boat and everyone knows what that boat looks like. And it's loud and obnoxious like me sometimes. And on Friday, I was cruising through the channel to go put it at the dock. And as I'm cruising through the channel, people are, you know, giving me a thumbs up. You know, I had one guy clap. And, and I got back to the house and I was standing in the shower. And I said, God, where did I come from? You know, 10 years ago, I had a tiny little boat. Nobody knew my name. Mm-hmm. 
few people did that I was friends with out there and had made a lot of acquaintances and got to know people just through having a personality, I guess. Um, but I'm the same guy that was in that tiny little boat. Yeah. And now people see the big boat and they think, you know, oh, he's made it. it has nothing to do with making it. Mm-mm. doesn't matter whether you're in the eight-foot aluminum boat with a paddle or you're in the 100-foot yacht. If you're still the same person, you're still the same person. And that's been my biggest goal in life is I just want people to leave after interacting with me feeling better, knowing that they maybe they learned something or I made them smile or I told a funny joke, whatever the case may be, because, you know, life is so short. None of the material objects matter. I've had fancy cars. I've had big houses. I've been homeless. When I had nothing, when my ex-wife and I were first got married and we lived in this we lived at 1201 East Fairhaven apartment 12C I remember it's down in Santa Ana it's called Aspen's Fairhaven Apartments and we serviced that apartment also I was a service tech on that apartment that apartment was a loft apartment I remember our rent was $725 a month and every month her and I would sit down and we'd be like how are we going to make rent we had a $50 grocery budget I was just as happy then as I've ever been in my life because it's all about who you surround yourself with. It's about the people that you interact with, the people you grow with, the people you help, you know, um, that's the key. You know, none of the material stuff really matters in life. It all comes and goes. I look at myself sometimes and I'm like, you know, why am I driving that car? You know, I don't need to drive that. Or, you know, why do I have this boat? I, I don't need to have it. That's stupid. It's fun. You know, it's a lot of fun to do those things, but that's not who makes me, me. No. You know, I think, uh, I think your leadership qualities and your, your general outlook on life and the, the happy go lucky guy that's ready to get at it every day is what makes, is what makes you, you, you brother. Just try to be, you know, yeah. try to be real. You know, I guess that's, you know, I'm a pretty religious guy and I think, you know, from a religious perspective, perspective you know yeah. god god wants us to be authentic he doesn't want us to try to be something that we're not yeah you know he puts us in the right places to meet the right people at the right times and sometimes he takes people out of our lives for certain reasons as well so you know we all learn from it yeah so yeah you got a great outlook on things it like, seems like you've built a blessed life and and uh and uh you know have some beautiful people in it so that's the most important part the beautiful people yeah so <laughs> well, we thank you for your time. Um, for the people out there listening and watching, um, obviously you don't really need to, to, you don't need any more business, I guess. <laughs> it's not really your route for the, for the general public. But uh, um, if anybody, maybe you're boating, if anybody wants to find you, you got an Instagram site for that or anything? Well, I, I, I have an Instagram. Uh, you know, it's, it's a dumb name. It's the infamous That Guy Brian. Uh, not hard to find Brian with a Y. Mm-hmm. Uh, the company is that guy services, um, which is also on Instagram, uh, or use that guy.com. But, you know, we always appreciate anybody's help, you know, and if we can help somebody in any way, we're always happy to, um, for me, I'm not, you know, it's not about me. It's not about, you know, I don't, I, there's a lot of things I don't care about. Brian hears it probably pretty regularly from me. You know, I'm, I'm the same idiot, you know, at 2 AM as I am at noon, <laughs> <laughs> just doing it with more fun. But, um, you know, I always tell people that follow me on social media, social media is a tool. 
yeah. and it's not real life, half of what you see on there isn't genuine and authentic. I try to make mine as genuine and authentic as possible. When I'm having a good day, you know I'm having a good day. And when you know, I'm having a bad day or fail, I also put my failures on there. I put my failures on there more than I put my successes. Good. Because I want people to understand failure is part of the journey. There you go. So you got to balance the scales. That's exactly it. Thank you. I appreciate your time. Appreciate you coming up, buddy. You. Thank you for um, having me. This is an honor for me. Thank so. you for opening up and being honest about your story. I know it's tough, um, you know, and I'm, I, I think that there will be a lot of people that can relate to, to, you know, the ups and downs of life and business. So. Yeah. And somebody in business. Yeah. Somebody said to me at some point, oh, you should make a movie about your life. And I said, oh, that'd be kind of boring. So. <laughs> <laughs> you never know. Well, thanks for listening again out there, fellas um, and, and, and ladies. But uh, I guess like, comment, subscribe, and uh, we hope you, uh, you learned something with us on, on this journey of uh, Brian's career in life. That guy. <laughs> thanks, guys.